Welcome back to Canada's Young Leaders, a podcast exploring bold ideas for our country's future. This is the climate season, where we'll be speaking with young environmental leaders about the roles of governments, corporations, and individuals in combating climate change. We'll also look at the COVID-19 pandemic and the opportunity it presents to build back better. This season, we hope to educate both our listeners and ourselves about the biggest issue our species has ever faced, the battle to save planet Earth. Welcome back, everybody, to Canada's Young Leaders. We have got a special two-part episode for you today. We're going to be speaking to two separate guests uh, about social entrepreneurship, the role of business in combating climate change. And first up, we have Cédric Provost, who is the co-founder and CEO of Entosystem. Entosystem is a producer of high-quality insect protein. Their mission is to utilize billions of insects to transform food waste into environmentally friendly proteins. Super cool. Hi, Cédric. Hi, guys. Thanks very much for having me. We are super delighted to have you on the show to talk about a topic we've never actually uh, got into during the climate season, which is the, I think, hugely important role of the private sector. But let's start off, uh, Cedric, by you just simply setting the scene and telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, the um, exciting business you run called Entosystem. If I talk a little bit more about Entosystem, our mission is really to... uh, let's say, unleash the superpower of insects in a cleaner, more sustainable, and more uh, responsible food system. Uh, we all know there's a lot of food waste, but we also need a lot of protein. So at that point, four years ago, we just realized that our, our insect, the black soldier fly, could be the solution, transforming food waste into a good source of protein. So that's where it all started four years ago. On your website, it says that 40% of the food we produce is wasted does that mean it goes into the garbage or is it composted or it's just gone well for, uh, for sure there's a mix and it's even more than 40 percent of the food waste of all food production that is waste but you've got some going to landfill you've got some going to composting site uh, you've got also some just left at the farm so there's a uh, waste uh, kind of everywhere all the government uh, quebec government especially is really working at removing all that food waste uh, that is going to a landfill to at least compost it. But it's not the major part of it that it's compost. And uh, what we are saying is even composting is not enough because you've got so much nutrition in those wastes. So you need to get them back in the food cycle as soon as possible. And that's what insects are doing. So, so these bugs basically eat the food that we have wasted and then you transform those bugs into food for humans to eat is that right not exactly uh but yeah the the insect are eating or insect is as i said a black soldier fly they're really really a good eater so they'll grow ten thousand times in 10 days so it's really incredible how they can eat so much but after that we uh, will gather the insect they'll be dry uh, but they're going to be pet food not human so we're selling them for chicken treats or dog food, cat food, stuff like that. But we also collect all the manure or the, what we call the frass, and it's sold as an organic fertilizer, which means we've got zero waste facility. Amazing. So it truly is an example of a circular economy project where what is wasted actually gets end up being used, and then that uh, in turn 
uh, the waste from that process is recycled into the process, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly. It's uh, Our core business is circular economy. It's taking one waste and transforming it into product with a really good value added. Amazing. I've just got a quick follow-up. Like we, we hear a lot about food waste as kind of low-hanging fruit, pardon the pun, as regards um, uh, reducing our emissions. But maybe just for listeners, can you just explain why uh, reducing our food waste can have such an impact on our carbon footprint? Well, as you, you may know, the agriculture in general is really one of the big uh, CO2 emissions in the world. So you want them to be more efficient. You, you want them to have more less waste because um, that food waste is AV is everywhere. So you need uh, big trucks to gather that around, uh, go to landfill that are uh, obviously uh, far away from city. So that's really an economical waste because we put so much money to grow that food. And then uh, you've got all the methane in, in a compost design or a landfill. You've got some methane. That's one of the worst gas. So you want to avoid that at all costs. If, even more, if you think about the fact that the world population is growing, you, we need more and more food source. So we, we, we cannot waste any of that food just, just to be able to feed the world. Cédric, you are the co-founder of Entosystem. Can you tell us a bit about kind of how you first had this idea, how you got it off the ground, and kind of the trajectory of this social enterprise um, up till today? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, at start, it was just uh, a question of uh, I, I was really passionate about agriculture. Uh, so I want to find a way to jump in, but I was also fan of uh, sustainability. And we, I did saw a manager, you know, that there's not that much project right now. Well, at, the, at that time, that was really agriculture and so sustainable. And I was talking to actually Jean-Francois, who is my co-founder at uh, one night, and he was thinking about insects. So we really start learning everything they were about insects, because if you go back four years ago, there were not that much uh, insect producer or that in much info. So we really start from the beginning in our home, breeding insects, having a wife uh, really open-minded, I would say, and, uh, to having a larva and fly in the house. But to start really slow, we did, uh, there, there were a, a big learning curve. And at one point, we just knew there was a business case and we take it further and hire people. So we went from uh, maybe two years and a half that there was a loan in the company to today we're 20 employees. So I, I, I'm kind of curious, you know, this is a social enterprise. The idea is basically that you are uh, a business. Your goal is to make money. But I think that we, you know, pretty quickly associate, you know, making money business as a negative thing when we think about the environment, right? You think about all these big companies and how much they pollute. Um, you actually are doing the opposite. You're trying to use business as a way to actually reduce emissions and solve problems. So would you say that you kind of went into this wanting to do both at the same time, make money and make the world a better place? Uh, yeah, for sure. It was really important because I think at one point that any business need to, to make money to, to be sustainable economically. So if you want them to grow, to take part in the, uh, part in the market, um, they need to make money. And if you are able to make money out of some, something sustainable in terms of the ecology, well, that's where you can make a difference because you, you won't depend every year about grants and finding money. It's going to be hard. So it's really the opposite right now. It's really finding a way to 
reduce our footprint because every year with their next facility, we'll be going to be able to avoid 21,000 tons of CO2 per year. So it's kind of 21,000 road trip Montreal-Vancouver that's going to be avoided per facility. So it's going to be the more money we're going to make, the more uh, CO2 that we're going to remove from the atmosphere. It's amazing, you know, to to think that we can use this product, the, the product that you're selling, in order to actually, through the consumption of it, and the economic implications of it actually overall reduce Canada's emissions. I, I love that uh, that in- analogy of reducing the number of uh, flights to and from Vancouver. But let me let me just ask uh, kind of another kind of let's put this in perspective kind of question, which is about who your competition is. Now you said that there's a big you know increase in the number of organizations and companies interested in the the bug business if you will for these reasons i think consumers including dog and cat owners and and other um, pet owners you know are are in many cases progressive they'll be attracted to a product like this but i'm wondering it's it's how how likely it can replace products such as beef which we know have such a big uh, carbon emissions footprint, especially uh, with the methane that's produced on these agricultural operations. Does your product, can it replace pound for pound really heavy emitters like beef products? Uh, well, yeah, well, we've got a really good uh, protein uh, in, in insects. It's uh, when, when defatted, when I remove the fat and we, uh, we use the fat separately, it's uh, 65% protein. So you can really replace kind of any kind of uh, protein sources. But the one that we are targeting at, on the short terms is more uh, fish meal. Because fish meal, you go like place like China or South America with big boats, you remove all the fish from the ocean, you get them back here to make kind of pellets that you're going to feed to, for, for fish or, or even in pet food industry. So that's really um, not good for, the, for our planet. So that's the first source of protein that we could replace with insect. Are you saying that the product that you're going to be using actually can use, be used to feed fish as well in the fish farms? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we could feed it to fish farm. The problem we've got right now is really the quantity. So we need to produce more and more to be able to go in fish farming. Uh, that's why we're more in the pet food industry right now that's using less um, less feed. But uh, even the food, the, the pet food industry, they do import the, that, that kind of a fish meal. That's really specific of our industry. But uh, as I said, the fish meal is really... Uh, not good for the environment and for planet because you're just emptying the ocean. Uh, right. Yeah. I get it. I get it. So this is, this is much better ecologically in within those farms than what is currently being fed to to the fish. But okay, I was in Quebec City um, several years ago with my wife, and we had a fantastic meal. One of the starters was cricket powder dumplings. So it was, it was, you know, heavy in protein, delicious. I'm wondering if um, the black soldier fly larva can be used for human consumption, or is that is that not in the cards at Ento System? Uh, it could, uh, in terms of you know hygiene and everything, we do take extra care how we breed our insect. For now, it's not approved in Canada, so we would have to make extra step, uh, extra extra step, sorry, to get it approved. Um, but we've seen in other countries that they start eating for human. 
But as we see it now, uh, there is still a challenge in uh, convincing a Canadian or American to eat insects on a daily basis. So it more, as you said, one time in Quebec a few years ago, it's not like in your daily routine. So to be able to grow fast and to get price down, we had to go at a really larger scale. And so that's why we focus really on the pet food industry, because we could not handle two challenge. By that, I mean, convince the population and industrialize the insect breeding. So we're really getting to uh, pet food and uh, other animals, which is their, their natural uh, food source. As uh, When you go fishing, you use insects. So it's just natural. Uh, same thing as for chicken, you know. Cédric, I want to zoom out now and talk a bit about the private sector more broadly. We, uh, you know, we're nearing the end of uh, the climate season of Canada's Young Leaders, and we've talked to a lot of guests about what they want to see from the government. But we haven't focused as much on the role of the private sector in combating climate change. So maybe you could tell us, you know, on a philosophical level, what do you think the role of the private sector is? Is it major, minor? Does the government need to regulate and force the private sector to become more environmentally friendly? Or is it up to them uh, independently? What What's your take on that? Yeah, well, I would start to say it's uh, everyone's responsibility at first, because, you know, the private sector are driving by their customer, which are most of the time, you know, individual. So I think the individual ad- could dictate what they want. Uh, but I do think that the private sector has a major role to do. Uh, for sure, government can help by regulate some stuff, a uh, general one. But I think uh, the advantage of the private, private sector right now, and I'm going to talk even more about startups in general, when we are really fast, we are agile, so we can adapt to the, the, the situation. In terms of, you know, with COVID going on, you need a small company to really be agile and to uh, pivot from a system to another one. So I think we could make a really big difference in the world. So I think the private sector is going to be take more and more place in the future. And they, they need to, uh, to change. We need to change our mindset that a company is only there to do money. Uh, we need to have a social impact in general and just not consider money. Yeah, you, 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 kinda, you mentioned small business. I'm, I'm kind of thinking, you know, recently I saw in the news that, you know, Jeff Bezos is going to spend $10 billion, you know, towards efforts to, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But, you know, none of that is actually changing Amazon's policy of, you know, transforming their, uh, their trucks and planes into, you know, energy efficient vehicles, right? So I, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Like, I got to jump in here. Jeff Bezos has dabbled with the drone technology and whether he can actually drop packages uh, at your doorstep. But apparently there's some aeronautical challenges with that, um, with millions of drones flying his packages all over the place. Just wanted to throw that in. Yeah, well, for sure it's a challenge. But as I said, you know, those uh, those huge companies, um, they're closer to government than small, uh, startup. So how I see it is if there are more other solutions, if there's more and more startups that offering a more sustainable, more economic solution that are better for the planet, will force the big ones to change at one point. So we're just, uh, I think, really need some people offering something different. So individual at choice. Uh, at the moment that all the individual are going to make some ecologic choice, while the other big players are going to follow up. Well, that's what I think. <laughs> I, I think I think that's it. That's that that 
early adoption phase. You know, you get those early adopters and then uh, then everybody else will eventually follow when you can demonstrate you can make money off, off that business, which I think is the point you're trying to make. Cedric, we're coming to an end uh, of this uh, episode and gonna, I want to throw a question out to you just about your business and how our listeners can help you how they can support you to be successful. Is there, is there, any, is there any calls to action you'd like uh, our listeners to take? I mean, can they buy your products? Um, and if so, what's, what's the name of them? Uh, if they want to uh, purchase, purchase a bag of pet food for their little friends at home. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, they can look at every product with, uh, made with insects. You've got, some, uh, you've got Wilder and Nauer that are doing dog food which is really good um, for your dog. So you could buy that at every um, at pet store. And we've got our home brand, uh, home brand sorry, which is uh, called Choix Nature. It's uh, actually chicken treats, but you can also use them for reptile or fish. And you can find them in all the BMR in Quebec and also in pretty much every pet store. It's so interesting. You know, money, money talks. And the way that we spend our money indicates to uh, businesses, big and small, how we are consuming. So I think that this is absolutely a way that we as individuals can, you know, make a difference. Uh, and I've heard so many people as I've kind of prompted stuff on Facebook and Instagram. A lot of people have said, like, guys, spend your money on environment, environmentally friendly products. Um, and so, you know, shout out to all the pet, pet uh, owners out there. Check out Ento System. These guys are great. And uh, Cedric, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Well, thanks to you. It was really a pleasure. Thank you, Cedric. Um, good luck with all of your future endeavors. I hope you become super rich uh, and, and reduce emissions all at the same time. <laughs> I'll try. Thank you very much. We'll be right back, everybody. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed our interview with Cedric. We will head over to our chat with Chrissy Durchik from Dispatch Coffee in just a minute. But first, you have to listen to me talk, which is my most favorite thing in the whole freaking world. For our prompt this week, we asked, what is the role of the private sector in combating climate change? We chose to feature our producer Tom's answer to the question. Tom says, if enough private companies begin making greener choices, that may draw subsidies from the government and therefore encourage other companies to follow suit. This answer really begs a follow-up question. Do companies need to be incentivized by government subsidies to make their business practices more sustainable, or should we be able to count on those companies to change themselves? These are huge questions that don't just have one correct answer. There are tons of businesses that are using the market as a tool to help the planet, like Ento System and Dispatch Coffee, which we will be talking more about in just a minute. But there are also companies, I'm assuming primarily in the oil and gas sector, that still prioritize profit over planet. I, I mean, wouldn't it be great if we just created an economy that rewarded ethical and sustainable businesses whilst punishing polluters. I think I think we're on our way, but we definitely aren't there yet. Thanks, Tom, for the great comment. And if you are enjoying the show, you better have subscribed on Apple Podcasts or followed us on Spotify by now because the season's almost over. I'm Jetta Wheeler-Hughes. Stay safe out there, everyone.
Welcome back, everybody, to Canada's Young Leaders. We are back uh, for the second part of the episode, talking about social enterprise and the private sector in combating climate change. And we are now speaking with Chrissy Durchak, who is the founder and CEO of Dispatch Coffee. Coffee! Dispatch is a direct-to-consumer coffee company on a mission to make high-quality, responsibly sourced beans accessible to everyone. And that is going to be a big theme of this uh, this interview. So hi, Chrissy. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Okay, Chrissy, let's get right to it. We want to know about Dispatch and its values, like what, what makes you a social enterprise as opposed to just any enterprise. And then maybe let's get right into why ecology, uh, reducing emissions and treating growers with respect is such a, a big part of your value proposition. Just a, a broad stroke overview to introduce Dispatch. We're um, a coffee brand based in Montreal. We have three cafes in Montreal, and we also uh, sell our coffee beans through a monthly subscription service that, that uh, ships to doorsteps across Canada. And we are um, vertically integrated, so we source and, and roast all of our own coffee beans. You know, what makes us a social enterprise business, or why are we in business? Uh, ultimately, uh, I never, I never intended to operate a business. I don't think I just kind of found myself in in it. I think pursuing an interest in social impact and environmental issues, and have and having worked in coffee as a barista for over ten years, I discovered that coffee is this enormous global industry and a supply chain that um, that impacts millions of livelihoods and uh, ecosystems in in tropical countries where coffee is is produced. Um, so I I wanted to you know harness um, some of that. Uh, some of my passion for um, for contributing solutions to to these these issues um, and um, and started a business where sourcing uh, traceable coffee and and sourcing responsible coffee both socially and environmentally was you know at the heart of what we did and connecting consumers to that um, was part of the customer experience and what, what differentiated us. So, so talk to us a bit about dispatch in the environmental space. Uh, talk to us a bit about, you know, your supply chain and how that's different uh, from other coffee suppliers. Talk to us a bit about the coffee industry in general and its, uh, its carbon footprint. Just, uh, you know, uh, coffee in the environmental space, go. So traditionally in, in, you know, in commercial supply chains, which dominate the coffee market today, coffee is produced on large agri, you know, or large agri businesses or large estates where um, land needs to be uh, clear cut and deforested um, in order to promote, you know, fast growing cycles and high yields um, at the expense of biodiversity and and also at the expense of uh, quality, unfortunately. So, you know, for centuries, we've been drinking coffee that tastes pretty bad and also does really bad um, to the environment and, and also historically exploits, you know, coffee producers. So what what we're doing at Dispatch differently from, you know, from the farm up is trying to build a, a more sustainable supply chain, one that starts with um, coffee that's grown in rainforests or in shade-grown environments, uh, which is a well-researched way uh, to promote biodiversity and reduce methane gases as opposed to, um, you know, coffee that comes from clear-cut rainforests and, and these commercial estates. Um, we're 
buying coffee from over 13 different countries and working with small scale farmers or cooperatives of small scale farmers who are um, individually, the, the, the members of these co-ops are growing on farms that are less than 10 hectares um, of land. And these are, you know, backyard um, family farmers who, who are often not using pesticides. Um, we don't um, have a specific mandate to buy organic certified coffees, though 30% of the last 32 coffees we bought were organic certified. Um, but we can attest through the you know the relationships that we have with growers and co-ops that um, all of the producers we're working with are are using biodynamic farming practices and take a lot of pride in their their crop and are not using um, pesticides uh, or or fertilizers that are harmful to the environment. Um, so you know our commitment to I guess building a better alternative or a better supply chain starts there with the growers that we're working with and and their commitment to environmental stewardship at the the farm level. And so let's let's take us from from that farm. I, and I love that that you know the shade, shade grown coffee as opposed to clear cut coffee. I mean just just every every listener can just picture coffee being grown in the shade that is under trees and bushes and shrubs uh, versus in a clear cut area. And just just think about the environmental implications of one versus the other. It's kind of obvious that kind of the image speaks for itself. But now take us into the transportation component of it. You, you know, you've grown responsible coffee in responsible ways. You've paid growers uh, a responsible um, price. Now, how do we get it here into Canada in a responsible way? That touch point specifically is an area that we have very little agency over at this stage uh, of our company's life cycle and this stage of, of um, or size of business. Most of our coffee, and we're very transparent with our consumers about, you know, the areas that we do have agency over at this stage. And, and um, we, you know, do our very best job to optimize those touch points in the supply chain to drive down um, emissions where we can. But, you know, our coffee journeys from the farm to our roastery um, via ship, you know, freight ship, which is certainly uh, less um, carbon emitting than by flight. I have aspirations to one day, you know, work with with uh, freight companies that can ship containers uh, by sailboat. Um, it, it's a thing. There are nice. you know, nice. fr- there are freight sailboats out there. So that's on the the bucket list. And uh, but once it's in our roastery, uh, which is I guess the next touch point in the supply chain before our coffee makes its way to consumers, uh, we we have to yeah we have to roast the coffee, and that's a touch point that in the commercial industry can contribute up to a lot of negative. Um, carbon emissions. Uh, and, you know, roasting coffee is essentially just burning, uh, burning up a lot of gas and um, getting a cast iron drum to heat up to 450 degrees and throwing coffee beans in it and, and cooking it for, um, for eight to 10 minutes a batch. And uh, what we've done in our roastery in Montreal is in, install a, um, an, what's called an afterburner, which uh, virtually um, kills off 99% of negative emissions that would otherwise end up in the environment and converts it to carbon dioxide. Uh, so it's, you know, not uh, zero emission. And th- there are definitely innovations and equipments that we aspire to invest in that that can produce uh, close to zero emission roasted coffee. Um, but on the spectrum of um, horrible <laughs> output of of gases and uh, materials into the environment, roasting coffee to uh, zero. I, I'd say we're somewhere like halfway in between there. It's far less horrible. Far less. <laughs> That's horrible. What you're saying, <laughs> far less horrible. I love it. Your coffee is, you know, like Greta Thunberg. You know, doesn't fly. It's got a 
got a sale. Yeah, we like to, to market our coffee as less bad. <laughs> <Sometimes>. <laughs> Chrissy, I want to ask you a little, a, a little bit about, you know, how we, you know, we as consumers consume coffee. You know, it's so easy just to go hit a Starbucks, grab a coffee. But sh- should we be thinking differently about how we consume the coffee, you know, and not just in necessarily recycling the the cups, the lids, uh, but also about where the coffee actually comes from. Do you think people are, are, are considerate of that? And, and if, uh, if not, h- how do you think we should be altering the way that we think about consuming coffee? Yeah, that's a great question. We are actively uh, trying to inspire consumers to um, choose or opt for coffee at home more than out of the home. It is today uh, a smaller market than takeout coffee or you know the grabbing the Starbucks on on the corner uh, market, which you just referred to. Um, just for you know for some stats um, in North America, at home coffee is a thirty billion dollar industry every year, and takeout coffee or out of the home coffee is an eighty billion dollar market. So I'm surprised about that. N- nearly three surprised. times as big. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's a huge opportunity to, you know, to pivot consumer demand towards home coffee consumption, which ultimately will compress this really long carbon intensive supply chain from the farm to the customer. Uh, And that's, that's something that we're actively working on in our growth plan. So we are, you know, we're looking at scaling dispatch as a brand, uh, you know, as as a 80% home uh, delivery and 20% um, cafe presence or street level presence. Um, And we're not looking to build a, you know, thousand store, you know, retail brand with, with street level presence. And that's, uh, that's definitely intentional. And because the, you know, one of the the highest um, outputs or, or influences on, on the coffee supply chains, emissions, carbon emissions happens at the retail level and kind of the last mile after roasting. So between roasting and um, consumption. Uh, so if we extract that and pull out the the retail cafe and bring the consumer closer to the roaster, um, we'll, we'll see a much more sustainable future for coffee. Oh, that's so interesting that that home consumption versus retail consumption. I, I would have almost thought it was the reverse, but I'm thinking it may be just in the margins. Maybe people are buying bulk uh, for home at you know lower margins, lower cost, and you know ready to pay six, seven, eight dollars for a for a uh, coffee in a Starbucks like like my son does probably way too often. Eight bucks? What? You what's crazy? Uh, what would you pay at Starbucks for your your coffee? Like five. You know, it, five depends, yeah. Yeah. it depends. It depends not- how big the coffee is and yeah. how tired I am versus what I need to do that <laughs> evening. And what did that cost Starbucks? Probably what fifteen cents. Totally. That that's a great point. I mean, a, a lot of what consumers are paying in the out of home market is is um, fluff. You know, you're paying for um, you're paying for rent. You're paying for commercial rent. You're paying for salaries. Um, you're paying for packaging and really um, superfluous stuff that is not the essential value of this product, which is you know a, a gustatory experience and something that uh, is, is super complex food stuff that you can you can really experience at home. And so I think, you know, moving, you know, consumers moving towards more, more home consumption is definitely um, going to be a a more affordable way to drink coffee. um, And, and uh, one that will, will be better for, for our world, for sure. 
more affordable, more ethical. We're we're coming to the end of uh, of the episode, Chrissy. But I kind of want to ask you. You know, the, the the theme of this episode is the role of the private sector in combating climate change. And you've kind of talked to us about you know the 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 coffee market, the coffee industry. But but I wonder whether you could kind of tell us you know just more broadly what your philosophy of the role of of the private sector is in combating climate change. Sure. Uh- I think the role of the private sector is to consider the uh, the environment as a, a stakeholder in their business, uh, just as they would their shareholders or their customers or their employees, um, and and to develop you know c- commitments to to driving down their their environmental footprint. Um, I think their the responsibility doesn't fall solely on the private sector and and can't if we're going to see the change that that we need to see um, and bring down the earth's temperature I think it's it also depends on individuals and consumers um, and 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 government and policymakers as well but um, yeah I, I you know definitely believe that that the private sector is is accountable it's accountable but it's it can do so much and and uh... And I think actually, you know, your example is 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 a huge one. And frankly, Chrissy, we're counting on you. We're counting on you personally to lead the way to Canada meeting its Paris obligations. I don't want to put a big heavy backpack on you, but no pressure. It, that's that's the stakes. Okay. If we're not net zero by 2050, we're coming after you. <laughs> we know where you roast your beans, Chrissy Durchak. Thank you so much for being on Canada's Young Leaders. You truly and sincerely are an inspiration to us. And uh, I want to tell listeners out there that I tried uh, this coffee. I'm a, I'm a I love coffee, and this is great coffee. So please go and grab a bag. Uh, those bags, by the way, are compostable. Chrissy, can you confirm that? They're biodegradable. Yeah, we so oh, don't don't fantastic. need to be disposed of in a proper compost facility, which is a barrier for many Canadian households. And you can drop it in a landfill, and it will biodegrade back to its organic amazing, material. Amazing, another amazing feature of Dispatch. <laughs> Thank you again for being with us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Canada's Young Leaders. If you like the show, leave us a rating and review on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts, or share this episode with a friend. It's the best way for the show to grow. Special thanks to Cam Duffin and his band Lost Cousins for our theme music, to Meredith Lindsay for our logo, and to Tom Zalatni for producing our show. You're the best, Tom. Canada's Young Leaders is a proud member of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Dungeons, Dragons, Canada, the Multiverse Theory, Corgis, Queer Representation, Reconciliation, Angels, Demons, Squirrels, Moose, Moose and Squirrels, Sorcerers, Dinosaurs, Forests, Giants, Rogues, Warlocks, Plains, Sewers, Lavender, Natural Toonie, a Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right here on the Upford Network. If you're someone who interacts with kids, you're probably familiar with moments of being asked questions you're just not equipped to answer. Whether it's the old favorite, where do babies come from, or the nuances of discrimination, Rad Child Podcast has your back. 
Each episode, your host, Seth Day, leads a discussion about topics like race, disability, loss, gender, sexuality, and so much more. Our goal is to give grown-ups the tools to talk to kids about almost anything. So come give a listen. Rad Child Podcast, helping to raise a generation of open, compassionate, rad kids. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else.